I searched the world But he couldn't feel me Man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough and Then you came along Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? We doing well? You guys are doing great. Everybody else is either talking or... We doing well this morning? Welcome to church. How are we doing? It is good to be with God's people no matter what is happening around us. Amen? Amen. Let's have you stand if you would. Ephesians 3.20 says he is able to do far and above all that we ask and think. So we serve a God who is able to do anything he wants, whenever he wants. He's the one we come to worship today. Amen. Let's sing this together. God is able. And God is able. Never 
Take your seats. Well, folks, aren't you glad that you're in church this morning? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I wanted to remind you, and, and this is a, a word of encouragement. First of all, we're sitting here, and uh, we keep saying uh, we're at the end of something, but who can know? right? We woke up this morning to the discouraging word that, uh, you know, the Taliban is right at the edges of Kabul. We have uh, earthquakes, and we know people in Haiti. We have heat waves, and we know people in Portland. We have all kinds of things that are really discouraging. In fact, we have so many things that it sounds like we're reading right out of Matthew and Jesus's warnings, don't we? But he tells us over and over again not to be afraid, and Peter was there for those words. This is what he says to a group of people in a book that he had written that was focused on suffering and what to focus on when you're suffering. He says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, this is what you're supposed to do. Regard Christ, the Lord, as holy, ready at any time to give a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. Did you hear that? Give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. By the way, the implication there is that your hope is so evident to people around you. It looks different than all of the acid and fear that's in our world. Yet do this, get this phrase, with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's be committed to put Christ on display, to have a hope that's evident to the world around us, and to do good. Amen? Let's pray, and if you've struggled with that this last week, just confess it to the Lord, but as AJ and the team lead us in worship, let's make sure that our hearts are focused on worshiping Jesus, forgetting the mess, but then going to address it when we're done. Let's pray. 
Father, we do ask that you would help us. It is so hard. The reason Peter wrote these words is it is easy to get discouraged, to be inflamed and irritated, to be overwhelmed by our surroundings. We begin to read the newspapers, and from man's perspective, everything is falling apart. But Father, the fact that you wrote of these things in advance tells us that you're still on the throne, that you're still in control, that we, in fact, have not lost, but the greatest victory of all is about to happen. We should anticipate you rather than forsake our faith. So, Father, help us to have a faith that rides above the waves, that in the midst of the storm we're looking at you rather than the mess. Father, help us to put you on display. It is so hard each time that we feel that yo-yo in our society pull us towards hope that we'll be settled and then back into turmoil. Uh, Father, this is really the picture of being wave-tossed. Right now, cause our eyes to focus on Jesus, the only sure thing. Help us to put him on display. Help us to encourage. There are hearts in here today who are discouraged, who are overwhelmed, who came in looking at their feet and not sure of what they're going to face this week. Father, help them to find another person who will pray and lift them up, whose hope is written on their face because of their faith in you. Father, help us to minister to each other and then go and put you on display in a broken world. Energize us now in this time of worship and through the word to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. tells us that Jesus is always interceding for us. He's fighting for us. It should be really, really good news, right? That's what this next song talks about. So be reminded that you have an advocate in heaven who's looking out for you. And you were not flesh and bone. And you were not weak or slow. You're everything brave and bold. You're fighting for us. You are not distant and bold. And your heart's not angry or closed. And even in ways we don't know, you're fighting for us. And you won't hold back when it comes to your children. You fiercely defend us till we stand delivered. You're fighting for us, always fighting for us. your feet for this next verse if you would and you've never closed your eyes and you've never been surprised whatever war may rise you're fighting for us and you've 
what this next uh, part even refers to. All the earth will shout his praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. And our hearts will cry. These are bones will sing his grace.
can take your seats. I don't know about you in this series that we've been going through talking about our enemies. You know, we talked about we talked about Satan last week, um, flesh a couple weeks ago, and today uh, talking about the world. I was I was struck literally after after last week and and listening to the message. I was struck that like we're in a war. And sometimes I have a tendency to forget that and just kind of, we kind of have a tendency just to go about our normal business, our routines, and that's what life becomes about. And we forget we've got an adversary in Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion. Our flesh is always wanting us to do, you know, what the sin nature wants to do, right? And the world is always trying to draw us in to its system of thinking and of doing. So we've got to be armored up in these days, right? Amen. And that's what this next song about is about. It's just talking about being ready, no matter what comes our way, and remembering that this is not our home. We are aliens here. Our home is in heaven. And so until we get there, we need to be on guard and gracious to those around us, right? the Son of God is stricken. Then see
right. This is a prayer. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of old still light the way, a retelling a triumph of His grace. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand I'd love to hear you sing that. It's on Christ forget that. We've got to be on solid ground. The rock, your son. We're so thankful that he, you have provided a rock for us to stand on. Even in these days, it, it, it seems more necessary than ever. God, I would pray that you would help us now as we hear from your word. I pray that you'd help us to listen intently because we recognize we are at war and we have been purchased by the blood of your son. So we know that greater is him who is in us than him who is in the world. And so we would pray that you'd help us now to hear from you, help us to be changed as a result, change our thinking if needed. God, challenge us, convict us, do whatever you need to do today. I'm so thankful to be able to hear from your word now in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks, AJ. What a blessed day it is to be here at church, amen. For a, for a young guy, yeah, we can praise the Lord. That was weak. Um, for a young guy, I, I got to be honest, it, it was amazing here at the end. I didn't know AJ was going to do that. But I, I've grown up going to this church since 1999, and many of you helped raise me. Um, there's a sweet lady uh, that uh, just went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago, and she said, um, actually, there's Cherry Gregory. And um, the last time I got to preach was her last Sunday. Uh, with us here on earth, and she said, as I got up there to preach, oh, there's Timmy. I used to change his diapers. <laughs> and, and so know that it's a, it's a, 
um, warm, to, warm sound in my heart every single time I hear you sing that Christ is a solid rock. Um, before we get started, I just want to say one thing. And uh, uh, I, I know today it's tough. I know it's hard for many of us. I've heard the phrase, I don't want to do this again, multiple times. And I'm really sympathetic towards that. Uh, I feel that and I, I have had the same conversations I imagine that you have had in your homes uh, with my wife, my children. And uh, I just want to offer us to think about one thing before we come to God's word here today and moving forward. It'd be the, these three things. I pray that we wouldn't ostracize ourselves in this season. That we wouldn't look at the person next to us and exclude ourselves from them and let the enemy say that they're the enemy. I pray that we wouldn't ostrich ourselves and stick our head in the sand and be inconsiderate and go, well, this will just pass over. I pray if there's anything for us today, church, it'd be that we offer ourselves, that we'd see an opportunity around us at every single corner, and that we'd wash feet like Jesus washed feet, and that we'd offer ourselves to God here now through his word in the days to come. Would you agree with me in that? Say amen. Let's do that. Let's do that. Well, we're going to continue our fundamental series, and this is the last of our three enemies. As, as AJ referred to earlier, uh, we spent time learning about our enemy of the flesh, that internal enemy that all of us know so well. And then a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt spoke to us about how we are secure in Christ, how we can never be unadopted. And what an amazing testimony to hear from him as he was adopted. And then last week, Pastor Justin spoke to us about our infernal enemy, our infernal foe, that being Satan. And today, we're going to conclude that series by talking about the external enemy, that being the world. We can never get over the basics. We have to be mindful of these things as the same issues, though packaged differently, like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And today I might just look different with a little bit of Wi-Fi and internet connection, but these enemies were ones that people have been dealing for thousands and thousands of years. Pastor Pete a couple weeks ago brought up a picture of a first aid kit. And this is a first aid kit that I took a couple weeks ago um, with our fathers and sons. We went on a Cosmog backpacking trip. And the thing about a first aid kit is you always pack it. Especially with middle schoolers and high schoolers, it's not if you're going to need it, it's when you're going to need it. And we're up there at Bobby Lake, and it was a great time. Caught some fish, went on some hikes, went some new uh, experiences for some of those boys, the first time ever backpacking, and some sweet time around God's Word. But as we encounter this last enemy today, let's pick up our first aid kit and be reminded of a couple things here this morning. The first being this, that you and I are his, that we are his, that in this battle, we have to be mindful of our identity, that we are God's children, and that's never going to change. There in John chapter 10, 27 through 29, it says that my sheep hear my voice, and I will not allow anyone to snatch them from my hand. There's not anything that you can do or can't do to remove your relationship from the living God that you are his, and that your last name is child of God, and that's never going to change. The second thing that we need to know and that we need to put back in our first aid kit as we encounter this topic here today is that you and I will experience conviction 
but we will not experience condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That no matter what you and I do in this life, that God will never point the finger at you if you know him personally. Why? Because he took all the condemnation on himself 2,000 years ago on the cross. He took all the wrath. He took all the sins so that we could be free. You will not experience condemnation in this life. You will experience conviction, and that's a good thing. I spoke to a student a couple weeks ago who said, man, I just feel like I'm messing up over and over and over again. He's in sixth grade. And I was like, buddy, you know what that is? Like, you're convicted about what's going on in your life. It's not a question if you're not saved or not. You're now starting to see, holy cow, I need help. He's like, oh, that could be you here this morning too. God doesn't condemn, but through the Spirit of God, he convicts. Our last declaration that we need to put back in our first aid kit is this, that when you falter, you must confess it and trust Christ's finished work. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that, that Jesus is God, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess with our mouth our sin. We own up to it, say, my sin put Christ on the cross. Don't put it in the closet. Don't put it away in the dark when people can't see it. Be honest about it. Deal with it just as Christ has dealt with it. And you'll see the sin broken. We are his. We'll experience conviction and we must confess when we fall into temptation. Now, knowing those things, and you guys got that in your first day kit here this morning, our last enemy, as we said, that we'll be spending time in God's word learning about this morning is the world. Would you open up your Bible here this morning and open to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And when you have found that, would you stand with me as we read God's word? It says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Do you believe these things here this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We're standing here holding it, mindful of it, as believers have had the opportunity and gift to do for thousands of years. God, we don't take this lightly now as we read your word. These are your thoughts, your mind, your answers, and your, your strategies for us every single day of this life. Help us not to run by this moment, but to consider what you have to say to us today. We love you and praise things in your name. Amen. You may take your seats. I got a picture up here of, uh, of something I'll explain here in a moment. But there's a rumor going around church right now. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Pete preached a message and told a story about the Metolius River. And he said that there was someone that had fallen in the river in, in the midst of that adventure. And the rumor going around church was that I was the person that fell in the river. And I just want to clear everything up and let you know, like, it was totally me. And so I just want to be real clear about that right now before we get started. 
I learned how to fish really from Pastor Justin, uh, Dave Hamlin, and a number of the other men here have taught me how to fish. And it's a great thing. I, I love doing it. It's really fun. A uh, great way to make memories, um, come alongside other students, other dads, other men, and have a, make a memory of the day. But there's a different way to fish, and it's one I stumbled upon this week. And if you don't got a fishing pole, you don't got any weights or lures or anything like that, um, what happens is in the evening, fish, they, they come up alongside the bank, and say we're in a pond, and they like to feed on the nymphs and on, on bugs and on stuff that's right off there from the bank. And so what you can do is you can create and you can place rocks or other boulders or other things that would guide the fish alongside the bank that, to then bring them into a pool that's sectioned off by reeds. And as you can see, then simply all the person has to do on the bank once they see a fish come in is put a rock and go plop, and they got dinner. Can I tell you, before we say anything here today, that the world is trying to trap you. The world places distractions, enticements, fake and twisted morals to bring you to a place where you lose life where you lose your family, where you lose satisfaction in God. This world is trying to trap you. It wants to funnel you into a lifeless life now, forgetting that God is the inventor of life. Our world is trying to trap you. And what I'd like to do is divide our message up here in three ways this morning. I want to let you know some facts about the world, strategies of the world, and how to have victory in the world. But this is the goal of the world. The world is a system of values. It's ruled by Satan, and it's strongly opposed to God. There's a couple places in Scripture that speak to this, and we'll go to them. But they're found in Genesis 3. We'll go there here in a moment. Here in this passage in 1 John chapter 2. And if you're taking notes, there's two other places I encourage you to read. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And also in John 15. This world is trying to trap you. And it's a world full of values that are twisted and ruled by Satan that's strongly opposed to God. Now, we're not talking about the world that God created. We know in Genesis that God created in the beginning the heavens and the earth. And you look about and you see trees and you hear the birds and you see the rivers. And you see all the created world and its majesty And how Romans says it speaks to the power and the attributes of God. We're not talking about that world. We're also not talking about the world in Scripture when it speaks to, for God so loved the world. That's the world of people, the world of humanity. We're not talking about that world of people. We are talking about a system that's set up by Satan to blind the minds of men so that they would not give glory to God. That they find their worth, their satisfaction, and their self Uh, their self-interest ultimately in themselves. And quite simply, Satan arranges this world so that we'd find life in this life and not in the one who invented life. That we'd be like marionette dolls, strung about, dancing from pleasure to pleasure, from puddle to puddle of selfishness, rather knowing that God cut us free so we could be free for him. God never invented us to go from puddle to puddle of pleasure. No, he invented us to be free for him, to live free for him from now into eternity. It wasn't always like this. 
It wasn't like this, the way that we experience it. The world wasn't always like this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. There was a time in which the world was perfect. Everything was good. Everything was in its rightful order. In Genesis 3, 1 through 6, before this we know that the world was perfect. There was no thorns, there was no thistles, there was no death. The world of mankind, consider a perfect conversation with your spouse every single day. Every intent was perfect. There was no arguments. Sounds like heaven already. No confusion, right? Everything was perfect. And even the order of the world was perfect. God said, I want to put you in responsible of this and this. And there was roles and everything fit like a puzzle with all of its pieces together. Everything was good. But then, read with me, in verse 1 in chapter 3, the serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. You'll not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes would be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. The infernal foe whispered, did God really say a subtle word of doubt? He whispered a subtle lie. You won't die. He whispered a new way of living. Well, you'll be like God. Like, you'll know more. And up to this point, what had happened, and we referenced this earlier, Adam and Eve's flesh completely fulfilled in God. He gave them food. He gave them fellowship. Their eyes were only for one another, Adam and Eve. Perfect. Eyes for God, walking every single day with him. Their pride was found that they were made in his image and his likeness and that they were his kids. And what did Satan appeal to? Those very three things. Their flesh, their eyes, and their pride. And the new world system was born. One that Satan has been manipulating and arranging for thousands of years to find our life in this life. It was never supposed to be that way. Why? Because John tells us in chapter 1 that in him is life and he's the light of men. We battle a world system that's no different than Adam and Eve encountered thousands and thousands of years ago. The same things that are hitting us today have been hitting believers and the world since then. So what are some concrete examples of how the enemy tries to hit us? How this enemy tries to hit us each day? Let's turn back to 1 John. Let's dissect this a little bit more. In 1 John chapter 2, we've read this previously. And I'll start actually in verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, and that word love, agape, I'm sacrificing for the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and here's our three things that we've said, is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, or in your translation, it might be the boastful pride of life. 
Let's tackle this first one. What is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is the passion to worship our cravings. The world system traps us, places things in order that we would be trapped and distracted and find our life in this life. The world system traps us using the lust of the flesh, and that is the passion to worship our cravings. What that is simply is sensualism. It's a craving for anything to gratify our senses. It's the gluttony of our sex drive. It's the passion for food and a constant pampering so that we'll get a dopamine rush. Someone struggling with the lust of the flesh would ask questions like this. Well, how, how close can I get before it's too far? How much can I spend? And what, what quality of life do I want? What do I want? Now, to take the heat off of us this morning, I was thinking about what would be an example of someone who characterized this that wasn't real. Is that okay? And I was thinking about some fairy tale t- uh, moment, and a thought came to me about a fictional tale, a chaotic random tale about all these children across the world vying for this position to meet the greatest chocolatier that's ever been here. And along the way, we met three characters, perfectly embody each one of these strategies of the enemy. And the first one is this guy. You guys know who he is? Augustus Gloop. Now, I wouldn't mind the first name if I was named that by my mom, but how do you get the last name, right? Gloop. Now, he's from Dusselheim, Germany. He's 10 years of age, and he only speaks a couple times in the original movie. Let's just, real quick, we're not even going to refer to the newer one. Okay, we're talking about the old one. That's the good one, okay? Okay, we got that settled. He only talks a couple times. He says this, I'm Augustus Gloop. I like chocolate. Would you like some chocolate? I'll have some more. Like, that's literally all he says. That's all he says. But there's a moment that I feel like you and I all have just laser etched in our memory as they walk into one of the first rooms and the music is playing and they look over and there's a tree and you can eat it. And there's like a grove of grass and it's, you, you can eat it. And everything for them at every single one of their desires, they can eat. Every single thing. And the kids are trying this and this. And where's Augustus? He beelines straight for the chocolate river And he kneels down, and he starts sipping, and he starts sipping, and he starts sipping. And all of a sudden, he gets so overwhelmed by the chocolatey goodness that he falls head over heels into the chocolate river, only to eventually get sucked up in a tube and sent out. Have you found yourself on the bank of life, sipping what the world has to offer? Sip, 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 sip. And then all of a sudden, your hand's not enough. And you you get a cup. Drink, drink, drink. And then you get a bucket. And you say, I need more. And you find yourself engulfed in a river of sin and a river of flesh. And you're bobbing up and down and up and down. And you have nothing else but to say, help And just like Peter, drowning in the water, you say, Lord, save me. 
He cries out in that moment and says, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? That's me. That's all of us. Have you been sipping what this world has to offer? Run back to him. Call out. Cry out. Lord, save me, and he will. He promises that. The lie of this enemy is that you would find your life here. God wants you to be untrapped and free. The enemy wants you to be trapped and to sip this life and drink from it so that you'd be numb to the things of God. That you'd find your life in just pleasure to pleasure, constantly drinking from the river of now. And God has made you for such a greater purpose. Cry out to him. Know he's made you for more. The first aspect of this, of this enemy is the lust of the flesh. The second being this, the lust of the eyes. You see that there in verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is the passion to own what we see. To own what we see. Quite simply, this is materialism. It's a covetous itch to own what we see. It's a longing to possess an eagerness to get that new something. It's to desire things unneeded. One person said this. With money we don't have in order to impress people we don't even like. (laughs) Someone struggling with this asks these questions. Why is it taking me so long to experience that? Why do they get to have that and not me? And I don't have enough. I I mean, I know how hard I, I deserve more. Now, Augustus Gloop had a hard, would have a hard time saying much more than just, I need more chocolate. But this next character, she has no problem for words. Her name's Veruca Salt. Remember her? She said many things. She was from Britain. She was born into a wealthy family, and anything she got just by screaming for it. She owned two dogs, four cats, six bunny rabbits, two parakeets, three canaries, a green parrot, a bowl of goldfish, a cage of white mice, and a hamster. (laughs) And despite all that, she vented at everything that she saw and she wanted more. What was her theme song? I want the world. I want the whole world. Every single thing. Why? Because I want to put it in my pocket because that's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. She found herself on a paddle boat saying, Daddy, I want a paddle boat. Daddy, I want, I want Oompa Loompas. And then in this room, she walks into, what does she see? Geese. All laying golden eggs. And she says, Daddy, I want them now. I want them now. Give it to me now. Sadly, she finds her demise as she turns out to be a bad egg. But I want to invite you to a different room. You might not find yourself in a room full of geese that lay golden eggs, but you might find yourself 
in a different room that requires Wi-Fi. And you scroll through this room. Wait a second. They got to go they got to go there? They got to do they got to do that? They got to go on that vacation with that car. I know they don't have that money. I deserve it way more than he does. I've worked way harder than he has. And I just want to let you know, you know what Jesus would hopefully say to you, and I believe he'd say this to you and I today, he'd say this, what will it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? I think he'd say that. Because the problem isn't them, the problem is you and I. That we look out and say, I deserve that. Why? Why is that the problem? Because God says, you know what? I didn't invent you for all that stuff. I invented you for me. The secret to contentment is all you need is Jesus. That's what Paul said when he said, I learned to have a, uh, I've learned to be content with a lot and a little. And then the next verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret to being content in this life is all you need is Jesus. He said, look at the lilies. Look at the birds. Do not know that I clothe all of them? I take care of your food, your clothing, all those things. And don't you know that the Gentiles eagerly seek those things? But know that your heavenly father knows that you need them. And it begs a question to us here in 2021. Well, God, why don't I have it? And he answers us with this. It's because I don't want it for you. I want me for you. I want to be all that you need. And then look at all the blessings I've given you. Look at all the blessings. Look at your family. Look at your church. Look at your neighbors. Don't fall into this trap the world is trying to set that you're going to have better life out there, that the grass is green over there. You know why? Because maybe you just need to water the grass in front of you. <laughs> Look at all the blessings that God's given you and don't fall into the trap that this world is laying. It wants you to find your life in this one. And not in him. How are we doing? Our last component and strategy that the enemy throws at us, and I, I think it's probably the most subtle of all of them. The lust of the flesh is immediate. The lust of the eyes. There's some, there's some time that takes place there, but this one can lay un, under almost kind of like a fire smoldering, but you don't see the flames for years and years. It's the boastful pride of life. In our translation, it's the pride in one's possessions. It's this. It's the passion to enhance ourselves above others. The world traps us by using the boastful pride of life which is the passion to enhance ourselves above others. Simply, it's egotism. It's a hankering to inflate your own reputation by shining a spotlight on yourself as to receive applause. It's putting on an air that you're someone by your dress, your friend group, your spending, your cars, your trip, and even your vocabulary. Someone struggling in the area of the boastful pride of life asks questions like this. How can I grow my name as quickly as possible? 
How can I get others to see that, that they need me? Well, don't, don't you see that I work real hard? I'm pretty much a big deal. And the Wonka character that we'll close with here today that I think perfectly embodies this is Mike TV. Remember that kid? From Marbles, Arizona, in the original uh, film, he was completely into the Wild West, and he loved having anything to do with TV. And we know the scene where he enters this completely stark white room with Wonka vision. And it's able to transmit anything in this moment over here to a television. And completely dissatisfied from transmitting a chocolate bar over here, he says, I want to do it. I want to be that person. I want to transmit myself and be the first person to be on TV that's been transmitted through Wonka Vision. And he's found being about six inches tall. And his mom's furious, completely scared. But he says this phrase, I'm famous. I'm a TV star. Wait till all the kids hear about this. Can I ask a couple questions here? If it weren't for Instagram, would people know that you were a good mom? Would people know that you were a good dad? If it weren't for Facebook, how would people be able to know that you were a good citizen? Would people know that you were a wise person without you having to say anything just by the way you lived? What are you transmitting? What are your kids and family starting to pick up about your opinions? What are, what are they starting to see that you place of as great value? You? Your opinion? Because I read here in 1 John, and it says this, The world, all these things, and its lusts are passing away. They're passing away. They're not going to be here. They're going to be gone. The flesh the eyes, the boastful pride of life, one day gone. Is what you and I are fighting for here in 2021 something, the cause, whatever it might be, is that cause going to be something that God says well done to one day? Because he says the thing that remains forever is the one who does the will of God. The one who is pure before him one who loves him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as yourself. The lust of the flesh, sensualism, the lust of the eyes, materialism, the boastful part of life, egotism, all of these, Satan manipulates and arranges our world so that we'd find our life here, and that we'd have our feet cemented here, and that we'd be marionettes dancing from one pool of pleasure to the next. But how do we have victory in the middle of that? How do, we, how, how do we remain free? How do we remain effective? How do we live in this life without fear? Praise God, there's hope for that. Our last place that I want you to turn here this morning is in James. Turn to James chapter 4. And I'd like to close our time here together in this passage. Asking this question of how can I have victory in this world? Now, I'm going to be honest here for a moment and say that as I was studying this passage this week, it was as if Chernobyl blew up in my life and everything was like colored with highlighter pen. I could see in my own life, 
the temptation, and in the world around me, there's the flesh, lust of the eyes, bolster pride. It was everywhere. And I was like, I just want to leave, okay? I just want to get out of here. But you know what that sounds like? Fear, shrinking back. I believe that God gives us an amazing and also ex- extremely scary verse here in chapter 4 of verse 4. It says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. That's a sobering verse. And when I read that, just know I'm reading that to myself first. I know in one moment I say, God, I love you. And then five minutes later, I give into my flesh. God, I love you. Oh, I want that. God, I love you. Hey, did you hear about me? That's what this is speaking to when it says you adulterous people. It's the same thing that happened back in the Old Testament. Israelites praise God in sacrifice. And the next moment, worship a false god. This is no different. But he says something here. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world, that you're aligning yourself with the world is hostility towards God. That you make yourself out to be an enemy of God when you align yourself and let the world dictate your steps. How do I have victory? Well, can I let you know something that's also true? That if you make yourself a friend of God, you'll be hostile towards the things of this world. That's also true. No, no, no. I'm not saying hostile towards the created world, like the trees and birds. No, no, no. And I'm not saying hostile towards the people of this world, our leaders, those putting things in front of us, our neighbor who happens to steal our Wi-Fi. No. That's not what we're talking about. That we be friends of God and we be actually hostile towards the flesh, hostile towards the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. How do I have victory in this world? I make myself a friend of God. How do I do that? How do I grow in my friendship with God? There's a story of a gal in our church, um, and uh, she started writing letters when she was about 11, 12, 13 years old, and she wrote letter after letter, and she wrote letters like this. I've actually seen them. I've held them. And... They go like this, dear future husband, I love you. I've never met you, but I know that you're going to be amazing. I'm praying that you remain pure. I'm praying that you remain committed. Here's what I'm into right now. I'm into scrunchies and I'm into singing. I like, and it would go on. And then 15 years old would come, dear future husband. And then 18, dear future husband. And then 20, man, a lot of my friends are getting married, but I'm not. Dear future husband, and letter after letter, this box would be filled with all of these letters of love letters to someone that she had never met. And then the week that this couple got married, she handed those letters to him. And he opened it, and he read one by one wait, you've been thinking about me since you were 13? You've been praying for me 
since you were 15? When you could have gotten a bunch of other boyfriends, you were thinking about me? That doesn't make sense. And completely overwhelmed by this love and this relationship, he said, thank you. Can I tell you this, believer? God's written letters to you. He's written letters to you, and they say this in Psalms, I think about you. I'm preparing a place for you in John. I know you. I have a plan for you. You're mine. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. I love you so much. I think about just over and over. Believer, God's word, this is how we have victory. We use this and we wield this as a sword against the lies of the enemy. We remind ourselves by the truths found here that we forget so quickly as we bounce from puddle to puddle of pleasure that this is where we find life, that God himself is where we find life. Remind yourself of the love letter that God's written to you. Use God's word as a sword to have victory in this life. And consider, consider this, that the world and its lust is passing away. But he who does the will of God lives forever. If he came back here today, what would he find you doing? Living for him or for the things of this world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises it holds, the love letters that you have written to us for thousands and thousands of years that we forget so quickly. We're captivated by the things in this life. God, you know us, but you have not left us alone. You have sealed us with the Holy Spirit so that we now can have victory in this life through a friendship with you and through your word. God, you want us to grow in our friendship with you. You want us to grow daily in our friendship with you. Be overwhelmed by your love for us. That's how we can have victory, to love you more than the things around us in this world that never fulfill. They never, they never satisfy. God, we thank you so much. We love you and praise things in your name. Amen. At the end of the service today, I'd encourage if there's anyone here that needs prayer or that you feel trapped, uh, I'll be up here at the front. I know that AJ and the other pastors or anyone Grab someone that looks free. How about that? And talk to him. And say, I, I feel trapped and I want to feel free. Would you pray for me? And we will.
for that message today. Amen. Wasn't that powerful? Just like Tim said, we'd love to pray with you if you'd like somebody to pray with. Hey, thanks for being here. You are dismissed. Go live for him this week.